Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is dedicated to the life and memory of John Sullivan, a.k.a. luscious Johnny Valiant. The list of challengers to the championship currently held by the British Bulldogs goes on and on. But perhaps they consider themselves to be the number one contenders. Of course, the former tag team champions, Brutus Beefcake and Greg the Hammer Valentine, under the guidance of luscious Johnny Valiant. You know, I don't like the way you say former. You know, when you think of things that are former, you're thinking of former wives, you're thinking of former employers, you're thinking of former likes and dislikes. Former but let champions. me t shut up. Let me tell you something right now. You're looking at two boys here right now that are more dangerous than they have ever been. Beefcake is so infuriated, and Greg the Hammer Valentine is so infuriated, and luscious Johnny Valiant, I've seen better days somewhat myself. Because let me tell you something right now. We have a mission. We have a mission. We find ourselves looking over our shoulders. Yes, we find ourselves now being the number one challengers. But it's not only going to be a very short time when those, tab those belts come back on Valentine's waist and Beefcake's waist. And you marking your calendar, baby, no matter wherever you see these two, you're going to see them again as champions. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. conditioned athlete in the sport today. Inside, upside down, Flair right down the apron. Comes in off the top, and South Money with a right hand coming up the top rope, follows him with a drop kick. And the champion is now being challenged severely by young George South, who has everything to, to gain and nothing to lose. Nothing there at all, and Ric Flair rises to his feet. George South completely missed that one, and watch out for the champion. 
They have battled all over the ring. What a fine contest we have seen. And now Ric Flair, one of his trademarks, a high vertical suplex, holding the man up. Now he goes, perfectly executed. And uh, a shout out now, and everybody across the world knows exactly what's coming right now. School's in session right here for George South. He won't be tardy. He won't leave until the teacher dismisses him right here. Flair with the figure four. He's locked it in nice and deep on George South. And the champion of the world showing the great form, the great technique that has made him legitimately a legend in his own time. Right there you see him, Nature Boy Ric Flair, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, the number one wrestler in the sport today. All right, well, this is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by the WWE Network. Head on over to wwenetwork.com slash TMPT and start your one-month free trial of the WWE Network today. And that will include the grandest event of the year, WrestleMania 34, coming to you live this coming Sunday, only on the WWE Network. So get on over to www.network.com slash TMPT to start your one-month free trial, and you can experience the grandest event of them all, WrestleMania 34, and all of the WrestleMania festivities that will follow. So that's going on right now at www.network.com slash tmpt and if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always i'm joined by my tag team partner the one and only john Paz. and john today on the show we couldn't be going any further away from wrestlemania as we welcome in someone who is a staple of the southern wrestling scene somebody who has wrestled in so many promotions including the wwf but we're not really focusing too much on that today as we welcome in the one and only george south to the two-man power trip of wrestling. And when you think about a guy like George South, you think about somebody who is very well-known in the Mid-Atlantic region for being a trainer, for being a longtime worker, and somebody who still dons the tights today and gets in the rink and can still put on one hell of a show. But it's George South, that almost a three-year-in-the-making interview, because if you have heard any of our shows in the past, you know George South is right up the alley of the W, excuse me, of the two-man power trip of wrestling. We love to talk about the Mid-Atlantic region. We love to talk about the NWA. We love to talk about Jim Crockett Promotions, and there is no shortage of any of that in today's episode. But we also get to talk about what George South is doing in terms of the training of the next stage of superstars, which is a very popular topic when we get into uh, any kind of interview with somebody who's as skilled as a guy like George South. But we really highlight two of his biggest trainees to come out of his hands, and that is Tessa Blanchard, the daughter of Tully Blanchard, and Cedric Alexander, who is highlighting right now and will be at WrestleMania 34 this coming Sunday. So we get to talk all about that. And when you hear what George South has to say about both of those individuals, it almost supersedes the stuff that he talks about in his own career because he's so proud of how far the two of them have come in a short time in their career. And this is where I want to welcome in my partner here right now, John. Like I said, George South, three years in the making on this show. He is the perfect guest for us. We get to talk about a myriad of topics because when you can talk about someone's career, that's a huge plus. When you can talk about interactions with biggest, some of the biggest stars in the history of the business, that's another plus. But when you can talk to somebody who's wrestled and worked everywhere, obviously the show can kind of write itself. And that was just 
pretty much the basic outline of this interview today with George South. Yes, Chad. You know what's great when you get George South on you? You mentioned Mid-Atlantic and JCP and kind of connecting the dots to a lot of different episodes of our show. But with him, it's like, wow, you, okay, you go from JCP, you can talk about Georgia, you can talk about Florida, you can talk about Memphis, you can talk about the WWF, you can talk about WCW, you can talk about pretty much any territory, any promotion, and George South work for them. You know, whether it be in the middle, uh, on the undercard, whatever you want to call it, an underneath guy, an enhancement guy, whatever you want to say, George South worked many of those cards. And we do talk about WWF, not a lot, but we do talk about WWF and his time there. We do talk about WCW and his time there. But we do spend a lot of time on the territories, which is something that the TMPT love to talk about because there's so many good stories in there. And I just love how we got into it with him being Ric Flair's favorite opponent and how that came about, when that came about, the, the seedlings of how that grew and how even today in Ric Flair and Charlotte's book that came out and not too long ago, there was a page and a half dedicated to George South and him basically being Ric Flair's favorite opponent. Even a little inside joke between Flair and South about how they refer to him as Ricky Steamboat, a.k.a. saying, you know, favorite opponent, Steamboat, George South, interchanged either one of them, that's his favorite guy. So it's very, very funny, very good stuff. I love talking about the old days, the good old days. But when you can kind of turn the good old days and turn them forward and, you know, pass it forward, if you will, what is he doing today? And that is training the future stars and current stars. Guy like Cedric Alexander, which you mentioned, Chad, who will be at WrestleMania wrestling for the Cruiserweight title against Mustafa Ali. And I think and I hope uh, Cedric Alexander will be the face of the division after Sunday, win the title and really show you know, showcase his skills and show the world what he's all about. And basically, where did he get trained? Of course, George South. And George South gave him all the fundamentals, all the tools. And like George said, Cedric would be right back in Charlotte if he wasn't in the WB. So he's got some great roots in Charlotte with George South. And of course, you mentioned Tessa Blanchard as well, which is great. You know, her father was Tully, obviously. But, and like we've talked to Tully about, he really didn't have his kids, you know, paying too much attention to wrestling. They really, when you know, when they were young, they weren't really watching Tully. When Tully got out of the business, it's kind of when she started kind of getting involved, and she went to George South for training. So he's the perfect guy, not only to have an interview with because he's got a million good stories, but if you want to go get trained, you're a young wrestler. He is the perfect guy to go to the wrestling school and get trained, learn, and then become a star in this business, like Cedric Alexander and like Tessa Blanchard. Now. One thing I do want to quickly mention here, Chad, is the WB Network. You mentioned it, wbnetwork.com slash TMPT for your free month, and you can start it with WrestleMania 34. And the one thing that I like to do each week on the show is my suggestion or my WB Network recommendation. And one thing that I would like to definitely recommend, and I love doing this, is you go to WB Network, you go to the search bar, you type in George South, and you literally will see a million matches come up against the uh, Arn Anderson, against Magnum TA, against the Brain Busters, the Rockers. I mean, you'll see all these millions of matches come up with George South. But the first one, I just mentioned them right off the top, was Magnum TA. So I would highly suggest watching that match. It's a short match, but you'll really enjoy it, and you'll really see what made George South so special. It's like, wow, it could be a short match, it could be quick. 
damn, did he not make Magnum TA look impressive as hell. So go to the WBNetwork.com slash TMPT for your free month today. Now, Chad, what do you think about this George South interview? Oh, I love it. It's just it's a guy that, like I said, I've said it to George multiple times. I've said it here multiple times. It's just the perfect guest for us because we get to go into detail after detail, not just about his matches, not just about people he dealt with, but so many different areas. And it seems like every single point we made, he had a story to go off and tell. And, and I love when we have a guest that can do that because it makes it so easy, which is another reason why we're making this introduction a little bit shorter than we normally would is because there is a lot to cover. And this is a pretty lengthy interview. It's in that epic territory that we're so famous for uh, getting out of our guests. And it is, again, you know, no doubt here with George South. And George is able to even tell us this off the air, you know, how he appreciates the interview style that we have when it comes to guests of his caliber. And uh, it's really a true honor that he could say that. So we really want to thank George for coming on with us tonight. And obviously, go to georgesouth.com. Find out where he's going to be, if he's still wrestling in your neck of the woods, whether he's got any appearances, his books that he has, and, of course, his training school. So please check out georgesouth.com. And like we said multiple times here, the WWE Network free trial is going on. What's a better time to get a free month at WWE Network than during WrestleMania season? So head on over to www.network.com slash TMPT to start that one-month free trial. And here it comes, John. This is the big one. This is what I've been waiting for. The TMPT Con 2 news and updates that we have going on. Now, if you are ready for TMPT Con 2, like John and myself, then you know what we've got going on. And you've been on our Facebook event page, and you see the, the additions and the, the amazing names that have been added to the fray on May 19th in Richmond, Virginia at the Holiday Inn. To include the addition of Scott Hall this week, to the include the addition of Gilberg, to include Two Cold Scorpio, C.W. Anderson joining the list of Kevin Nash and Eric Bischoff and Mikey Whipwreck and Independent Star Solo Darling and Henry Godwin and Ronnie Garvin and Nikolai Volkov and Mr. Hughes and all of these great names that we've got coming to our show this coming May. We've said it from the start. This is our show the way we want it to be. And we hope that you can join us on May 19th in Richmond, Virginia. And if you're going to be down there for TMPT Con at the Holiday Inn, we've got a special room rate going through the Holiday Inn that if you head to our website, tmptofwrestling.com, you got all the information there for that room rate. And if you're staying there, come out to the TMPT Nightcap with Eric Bischoff at the Backyard Grill in Richmond, Virginia, where we're going to have a very intimate and very exclusive night of dinner, drinks, and chatting with Eric Bischoff, where we're going to pick his brain and find out all of the ways that he beat the WWF at the time in a way that Vince McMahon had never, ever seen before. And we will be picking the brain of Eric Bischoff to come in the next few weeks here, hopefully on this show as well, as we're going to begin the build for TMPT Con 2 in a big way. So... As we wrap this up here, we hope you enjoy WrestleMania on the WWE Network and that you took advantage of our offer and that you enjoy this George South interview. So like I always do, the music's going to start to creep in now and John's going to take you the rest of the way. He's going to hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and we're going to get it on over to the one and only George South. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. 
Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. Follow along with a two-man power trip as we come to a town near you. Join us in Richmond, Virginia for TMPTCon 2, May 19th at the Holiday Inn with feature guests Kevin Nash, Easy E, Eric Bischoff, Shane Douglas, Mark Canterbury, and so many more. So follow along with the two-man power trip as you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, a former NWA Georgia junior heavyweight champion. He's been known as Gorgeous George and Little George. He is also known as being the Nature Boy Ric Flair's favorite opponent. He is the one and only last wrestler, George South. Enjoy. Joining us on the line tonight is a man who has competed everywhere you can possibly think of. When you think of some of the belts that he's held, one of them sticks out. How about the NWA Georgia Junior Heavyweight Championship? Everybody knows his name. He is the one and only George South. George, thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thank you so much, guys. It is a privilege to be here. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I've been in a few places that you can't think of, too, buddy, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad to be here, man. Thank you all both so much. Oh, it's our pleasure. You're a guy that, i got to say, we, we've been doing this show for three years, 
And I have to say, it's a shock that we haven't had John already because we talked to so many guys who've come in and out of all the territories that you worked with. And we like to put you in there as one of those gap fillers. You know, there's a lot of stories that you can tell that I'm sure those guys conveniently left out. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it it was a it was a great time, uh, of course, in professional wrestling. And uh, I'm still still active and still involved. And but that was uh, those sure was some good times. Now, that's really cool. And, you know, and I wasn't really going to go this route, but I got to just ask your opinion on this because this is such a big week in wrestling right now. And it's kind of surprising, especially for somebody. I know you were up in the WWF at one point, but for somebody who spent the majority of their career in other territories to see what WrestleMania is this week. I mean, it's insane to see how many people are going to be in the same town, not working for WWE, but wrestling or doing wrestling-related right. activities. Like, what do you think about that? Are you shocked to see how big it's grown, but not just for WWE, but for all the workers and all the boys that are yeah. here in New Orleans this uh, week? Yeah, that's such a good question. You know, I love it. I mean, I, I was able to go last year, uh, not just for WrestleMania, but like you said, a lot of the events with WrestleCon, you know, leading up to WrestleMania. And it is almost like uh, a, a, a year-round festival. I mean, I know it all comes to a head at WrestleMania, but... Uh, for me personally, I know last year, just being able to see some of the guys, uh, you know, that I haven't seen in, in years, uh, that was just at some of the conventions and some of the signings and stuff. Uh, so you're almost tired and blowed up even before WrestleMania kicks in. Uh, but I, I love every bit of, uh, you know, every minute of it. I mean, I just think anytime, you know, something like professional wrestling can almost stop the world, you know, just for a week. And, and all the focus and the attention, of course, is on WrestleMania. But uh, I'm just happy for all the boys, you know, guys that uh, that may not be at WrestleMania, but they've got a great opportunity. Uh, you know, not just some of the younger guys, but a lot of the older guys uh, got a great opportunity, you know, to make a little money and, and, of course, meet some of the newer fans. And, I mean, last year when I went down there to WrestleCon, I, I actually forgot that I was like a vendor guest. I mean, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, supposed <laughs> to sign and meet people. Then all of a sudden, you know, Bill After walks by or even, uh, you know, Molly Holly, who I have, uh, I've loved her since she started. And, and to find out that she's just a couple of tables over, the, you know, the guy that brought me in had to keep reminding me that, hey, you come to work, right? You know, not just to <laughs> get autographs and see, you know, Al Snow and a lot of the guys that I hadn't had a chance. So, I mean, I think it's great. I, I really do. And, and, you know, I'm not one of those guys that said Vince. You know, he earned wrestling and anything. But what I try to remind folks that in the very, very beginning, Vince is the one that took a chance on this. And I think over the years we've kind of forgot that part of it and how big it's got. But you know, in the beginning it was it was his call. And he bet, you know, he he bet everything that this thing called WrestleMania was gonna be something. And uh it could have went the other way. But uh, I'm just so happy for the guys, and yeah, I think it's great for everybody. No, it's cool, yeah, and that's that's perfectly what you said there, too, because with Vince, it's like, at some point, we've said this with a bunch of guests recently, it's like, uh, with nobody left in town, really, to compete with Vince on that national level, a lot of people growing up now watching wrestling only know the WWE, but at WrestleCon, right. you wouldn't, you would know, you'd only know the WWE's in town because of the signs and because of WrestleMania. That, that's right. Dozens. Dozens of independent shows going on, but it also leads me into what you're doing now, and you're still staying active, you're still training, and WWE is like, you know, they're kind of pegging their own way with their training facility, but you still get to see it on the local level, and you get to see people coming through, so give us your kind of scouting report on some of the talents that are coming through George South's store these days. 
Well, you know, uh, I, like I told my class tonight, I mean, I, I really believe that, you know, everybody has a dream. And, and, and I, what I mean by that is, you, you know, you got big guys, you got small guys, you got fat guys, you got skinny, you got everybody that has a dream. And what I've been able to do many, many years ago is just, uh, yeah, I know you got to have that look, but I think kind of what's happened lately in wrestling is, is, is everybody's got that look. And to me, uh, you know, old-timers used to call it it's like a cookie sheet. You know, you pull those cookies out of the oven, and every one of those cookies look the same. Well, professional wrestling is not supposed to be that way. And if you can remember, I know when I first started watching, it was a little bit for everybody. I mean, you had the big guys, the small guys, muscular. You know, you had hillbillies. You had, you know, you had a little mixture for everybody. And uh, and I still think that's true today. I mean, uh, even some of the students I've got now. Uh, but the most impressive thing to me, like I got a kid now that literally I don't think he's ever played anything athletic in his life. I mean, if you can imagine, I don't. I joke with him. You know, I don't even think he kicked a ball. You know, like in the backyard when he was little, but. He wants to be a pro wrestler, and so the journey of me working with this kid, and 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 not just the physical part, but you know, getting him to to show up in front of people and to be able to grow in that area. So 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 I love the whole mixture of training, not just getting somebody ready like you know Cedric uh, Cedric Alexander, who uh, he's going to be at WrestleMania this week uh, working for WWE, and you know he came right out of my school. I mean, walked in one day. Everybody thought he was, like, born, you know, in a wrestling ring. <laughs> you know, he's so good. But, you know, John, he walked into my school, uh, never been trained, never had been in a wrestling ring. And, uh, he just worked hard and really just some amazing stories like that. And now to see him uh, in WWE at the, you know, WrestleMania, uh, I'm so happy for him. Because I know that journey of, you know, his mom still lives in Charlotte and he takes care of her. And so I, you know, I'm very lucky and very, I've been blessed that I get to see the beginning of some of these journeys. Uh, you know, Tessa Blanchard, who uh, I am so proud of her because, you know, she, everybody thought, well, Tully is your dad, so you must have been around wrestling. Well, she wasn't. Uh, she had never been in a ring, uh, had never been trained. Uh, she come to me and she worked real hard, and now to me, I think she's one of the most special, uh, you know, lady uh, wrestlers in the world, uh, and she's just worked so hard. So those kind of stories like that, because, you know, the, the wrestling world guys thinks if your dad was somebody, then you should be somebody, but it don't work that way, and a lot of times it's a lot harder on some of the second generation, you know, guys and girls, because everybody does put that pressure on them you know, that your dad was great, so why ain't you? So to see little stories like that, uh, you know, I'm able to tell these young students that dreams, I mean, it's amazing that the guy can walk in right off the street and work hard and then get to where WrestleMania is, and that's kind of what Cedric did. So those little stories like that, uh, I, may, I, I just kind of uh, smile because I had a little part of, you know, of that. And I still, I mean, I take them on the road with me even here and, you know, make them help me set the ring up and sweep. And they don't like that part. <laughs> you know, they're, they're ready to tag with Randy Orton. They don't, what do you mean I got to sweep? So I really, really try to, you know, give back uh, a little bit of wrestling because it's been so good to me for almost 40 years. And, uh, you know, my first week in the business, uh, John, years ago, an old-timer told me, he said, when you're done, 
uh, leave wrestling better than you found it. And I don't know why that stuck in my head, you know, all these years, but it, it meant a lot to me, and it still does. And that's all I want to do is just maybe leave leave wrestling because, uh, you know, there's a lot of boys and there's a lot of guys in this business that just take, and they take, and they take, and I just don't want to, I don't want to do that. I want to be able to, to leave it just a little bit better. And I think with Cedric and Tessa and some of these newer students I've got, you know, for them to be able to uh, get a tryout match with WWE or somewhere like that, you know, it's it's pretty special. Uh, when you've been there from the beginning and know how hard some of these kids have worked, so. Now, those are two great examples because, yeah, obviously Cedric, is uh, he's made quite a name for himself, and everybody knew he would once he had the chance to go to WWE, so it was really nice to see they embrace that cruiserweight division and also, yeah, with Tessa, exactly. obviously, you know, the women's revolution uh, all throughout the business is uh, is well-documented, but, you know, you talk about maybe having a trainee that's not your traditional-looking wrestler, and, you know, the King Kong Bundy and the Barbarian aren't walking through the front yeah. door anymore. It's just a, it's just a that, fact that, of life. That's right. I mean, <laughs> that's right. It's just a fact of life, <laughs> but how do you kind of change yourself to adapt to that guy who doesn't really have that physical stature? Well, you know, and I, I tell my students this all the time. I mean, there's a lot of folks think that I just, you know, get people in there and beat them up, and, 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 and I've heard George just takes their money, and, and stuff like that really aggravates me because I really, and it sounds corny, but I really love these kids. I mean, I uh, it ain't for everybody. Uh, some of them just, you know, wasn't meant to be a pro wrestler. But the, my reward is even for those that try it, and, and it may not be for them, at least they know, uh, because every day I hear so many stories of older people that wished that they would at least, you know, gave it a try. So what I'm able to do is is I've never ran anybody off because they're not, like, as good as someone else. Uh, you know, the attitude means more to me than anybody's ability. And, and I know a lot of people don't understand that, but uh, I've never ran anybody off that had a good attitude. But uh, uh, that's the, that, that, that means more to me than the ability part because you get a lot of people that just you wonder, uh, you know, who told you that? I mean, even now when they come to me, you know, somebody down the line, whether it was mom or dad or, or their uncle told them that wrestling's fake. And when they get to me, they still got that thought in their head. And then, of course, when they take a few bumps in that ring and realize, wait a minute, I think mom and dad, you know, told me a lie. <laughs> you know, I think I think Uncle Bill <laughs> told me a lie. It, it, you know, you, it, it does hurt, and you do feel it. So uh, I think I get just as much reward out of uh, a young kid having his first match, you know, actually in a National Guard armory in front of 100 people. Here's a kid that was shy, uh, you know, couldn't even really speak on a microphone, but you see him grow, and now he's actually out performing. And so I get just as much thrill as a trainer out of a guy like that, almost as I do a guy that's going to, you know, compete at WrestleMania, because you see the growth part of it. And, uh, and if they'll just listen and keep their mouth shut, you know, I asked Ole Anderson one time, who I love Ole. A lot of people, as y'all know, just don't get along with him because Ole's Ole. But I think I've always loved him. He's always been good to me. And I still, if I get a chance, his brain is so I mean, so full of so much knowledge. And I, I just asked him one time, I said, how good was Tommy Rich? Because Ole was there when, you know, Tommy Rich first started and he saw the, the popularity of Tommy Rich and, you know, way before the Internet or anything like that. And, and he just simply said, he said, Tommy Rich would listen. And, you know, guys, that is so simple. 
but it, 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 it I mean, it was just told so much truth. And if you got somebody that can listen, and that's all, you, you can do something special with them. Because y'all know how it is in our wrestling business right now. Everybody knows it all. And I said, wait a minute. You know, I didn't realize we had so many smart people in wrestling. But if you can get somebody uh, that, that will listen, even somebody that's been doing it for a while, um, if you get somebody that listens, you can actually do something pretty special. But that's the hard part, you know, finding them to listen. <laughs> so what's the aha moment for you when you know somebody got it? Is when you see they are listening to you? Or is it something physically that they do? Is it the, uh, you know, maybe they grasp a little bit of the psychology? But what's that one thing that well, kind of you know, makes for me, you believe it? Yeah, in five seconds, John, after they take that first bump, seriously, I don't care how big you are, how small, I don't care if you play pro ball, I know right after you take that first bump, honestly, either you lay there, which I've had guys do that. Uh, I've had, you know, young ladies start crying. I mean, because they just don't have a clue what they're fixing to do. And I have some that jump right to their feet, and those are the the, the ones I call that are the dumbest because they usually fall right back down. But <laughs> if you can get one that will take that bump, and I never laugh at anybody. You know, I told this young kid tonight, it was his first night, I told him, I said, nobody in this ring is ever going to laugh at you. I'm never going to laugh at you because all of us had, you know, that first day. And and I know you know this one. You know, Hulk Hogan, his first day, he broke his leg. First time he ever stepped in a wrestling ring, he broke his leg. And then, you know, he came back, changed, you know, changed wrestling forever. So uh, I can judge pretty much. Because if you take that first bump and it's your reaction, a lot of them don't come back, if you can believe that, John. So, you know, I don't need to to wait two or three weeks before I know if somebody's really going to do it. I mean, you know, Cedric took his first, Tessa too. They took their first bump and said, what's next? I mean, really, they said, you know, what else you want me to do? So special ones like that, you say, okay, now here we can do something. And that's that, to me... Uh, and it may work different for other people, but I can usually tell. Uh, I mean, I just had a kid. Believe it or not, John, I had a, a 19-year-old, good-looking young man. His mom, now nothing against moms, but his mom brought him to my school. <laughs> I, I mean, this, this kid's 19 years old. And so, of course, you know, I talk to him, try to get to know him before we do it, and they're telling me the same old story how this is all this kid's ever wanted since he was a baby. He wanted to be a, a WWE superstar, which I've heard all that, which that's fine. So we get in the ring, and John, believe it or not, this kid took his first bump, and his mama laughed at him. And at first I thought, wait a minute, surely I didn't hear that. So I had him do it again, and she laughed again. And then, John, I ended up throwing, I throwed her out of my building. I mean, I threw that kid's mom out of my building. And I'm thinking, how does this kid stand a chance if his own mom is, is laughing at him? Because I knew if I'd have got her in that ring, she wouldn't have been laughing. But, you know, I'm thinking, what, what are they doing? And, and, believe it or not, the next day, that kid quit. He quit on me. It was kind of funny because he actually resigned. That's what he said. And I never, I didn't know you could resign from a wrestling school. But he resigned. <laughs> and I haven't seen him. And I think a lot of that may have been his mom, uh, John. But uh, she laughed at him. And I'm thinking, Holy cow, I don't think I've ever had that happen. So I don't know what she thought was funny, but, you know, he could we'll never know if that kid could have been somebody or not. So you get all kinds like that. So I didn't even really get a chance to, 
get to know this kid because he never came back. Uh, it's crazy. And to think to use that Hulk Hogan example is a great, great one because obviously, yeah, he gets his leg broken by Hiro Matsuda that first day that he goes in for any kind of training because they see this big jacked up dude. So they're going to test yep. him. But can you imagine the amount of big jacked up dudes that were deterred from getting into the business, from not being able to recoup one day's worth of uh, an injury or a strain or something like that. That's Can you right. imagine some of the talent that walked away from the business, maybe because they didn't have That's the right, right person to help them get through and, that And see, day. and John, I know you understand this. This is what I try to explain to people. It's, things are so different now, and I know times have changed. But see, even when I broke in, the old guys didn't want, the old timers didn't want you in wrestling. In other words, there wasn't a wrestling school on every corner like there are now. And, you know, I know guys that's got a wrestling ring in their backyard. But, of course, when I first broke in, if you got anybody to even let you in a ring, uh, oh, my goodness, that was, like, very rare. But if, if you made it to the ring, their whole intentions was to make sure you didn't come back. And they done it to me. My first day, they beat me to death. I was just dumb enough to come back. But see, now I know times have changed, so you can't, you can't do what, what they did to me when I started. I still think it was against the law. <laughs> I mean, they beat me to death. But it was to change your mind because the, the way the old guys felt is if, okay, this young kid comes in, he's going to take my job. So, yeah, they would give you that tryout match. I, I was lucky enough the Anderson brothers, Ole and Gene here in Charlotte, were in charge of, the Jim Crockett like tryout matches, and uh, I was able to witness some of those, and they were brutal. I mean, they were brutal. I, I've seen them. You know, they they their their intentions was you ain't coming back. And see now, uh, you know the business. You, you know the world's changed. You can't really grab somebody in a ring and stretch them anymore because they'll sue you. Uh, and you got to be very careful. So. Even kids that try it and find out that it's a little rough, uh, I've even had a couple of them try to sue me, if you can believe that, because they, you know, you wouldn't believe the stuff. That, I mean, they said, well, they didn't know it was so, you know, I didn't let them know that it was so tough. You, you wouldn't believe it. So uh, the way it's changed, uh, I miss those days. I ain't going to lie to you. I mean, I miss, you know, you, so if you got in the business, man, you deserved to be in the business. Uh, because you didn't just walk in, you didn't just buy a pair of boots on eBay and say, you know, I'm a pro wrestler. Uh, man, you really, really had to earn that. And I know you can't do it, you know, nowadays, but there is a lot of guys that just walk right in this business. And and that's where I kind of weed them out with some of the old-fashioned hard work, like I shared earlier about setting a ring up and, you know, cleaning up a gymnasium, you know, at the end of the night. And I mean, But, see, I'm right there with them. See, Chess, uh, John, that's what I try to tell people. I don't ask anybody to do anything I still don't do with them. If I ask you to help me set that ring up, I guarantee you I'm going to, because I still love it. I don't have to do it. But I still love, uh, you know, being around professional wrestling to this day. Now, you mentioned, you know, a tryout match in Charlotte and working for the Crockett's and Jim Crockett. How did you actually get that tryout match and be able to, you know, then eventually work for the Crockett's and work for, you know, uh, JCP. So, well, you know, how you know I, I, yeah, I got very lucky. You know, uh, what was so funny is I lived in Charlotte, but I actually started doing, it was called, of course, Georgia Championship Wrestling. And, you know, of course, I only had it. And this was really before the big cable took off. 
And, of course, Ted Turner owned it then, but it wasn't really as big as, as what it was going, going to be. And I actually was in Charlotte. And believe it or not, Mike Jackson, who's still around, and I love him to this day. You know, he actually, uh, we, we, I had met him at a show, and he just asked me, he said, how would you like to start doing some TVs? And, man, you, buddy, I was, you know, 18, 18 years old, and I thought I knew everything. I said, yeah. So I actually, for about a year and a half, was driving from Charlotte to Georgia Championship Wrestling. And back then, they didn't care where you lived, where you was from, nothing, none of that mattered. So nobody even knew I actually lived in Charlotte. So I was there doing TVs. It was kind of cool being 18 years old and, you know, being able to hurry back home and watch yourself on television that night. I mean, I was a big, I'm still a big mark, but I was, way, I was a real big mark back then. But, uh, you know, to see, you know, against Tommy Rich and Buzz Sawyer and all those guys. And so I did that for about a year and a half. And then, of course... That's when Crockett got involved with Georgia Championship Wrestling and Dusty and all that. And then J.J., J.J. Dillon, who I love with all my heart, he, I don't know how they found out, because uh, back then you didn't even get a paycheck. I mean, you got paid in cash. When I first started doing TV, they give you a little brown, I still got the little brown envelopes. They pay you in cash. It wasn't much, but I'd have done it. I'd have, I'd have paid them. And then, of course, when Superstation took off, uh, oh, my goodness. I was right there all over that. And, of course, J.J. just asked me one day, he said, would you like to do some work in Charlotte? And I said, you know I would, buddy. So I started doing, of course, Jim Crockett and started working. So I was actually uh, working Georgia and working Charlotte. And I was living in Charlotte. And then it, then the word of mouth, because back then all you had was word of mouth. You didn't have the Internet, cable. You didn't have nothing like that. didn't even have a cell phone. So everybody heard about the good job I was doing in Charlotte. Next thing I know, Mike Jackson said, how would you like to go to Louisiana? And and see, Mike Jackson, who, you know, and I've heard all the stories about, you know, he took a booking fee, and, 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 and see, I'm all for that. And and I'll, I'll tell you right now, because I could, I didn't know who to call. Does that make sense, uh, guys? Yeah. Uh, yep. I mean, I remember calling Georgia Championship Wrestling one time, and Buzz Sawyer, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer answered. And before I could say hello, he cussed me out. <laughs> and so I hung the phone up, and I was scared to death. I mean, so I didn't know how. You know, you didn't have, yeah, you remember the magazines used to have, a, like, a little phone number in the back you could call or write, promoter, and and, okay. and I did all that. Okay. But I never, you know, I never heard back. I never, and so I didn't know who to call. But Mike Jackson had built a relationship, and he needed a couple, you know, he needed some good guys. So, man, he, I went to Louisiana with him. I worked for Bill Watts. Uh, there, I got a couple weeks where I actually worked for like eight different companies in one week. Uh, that following Christmas, we went to Florida, and I got to work for Eddie Graham. And, and so here it is. I was 18, 19 years old. And uh, to me, when I thought I would, was really doing good, is I was, all of a sudden I was reading a wrestling magazine, and then the next week I was wrestling these same, you know, heroes that I had read about in these magazines. And, oh, my goodness, you're talking about being on cloud nine. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm sitting beside Jerry the King Lawler. And, you know, I said, wait a minute, I just, I just, of course, you know what was so special back then, guys? We didn't, we didn't have cable. So the only reason we could hear about Lawler or Hogan or anybody like that was through the magazine. And, um, and I still love that. I've kept all my old magazines, and I still get them out. And, and I miss that. You know, all these young fans will never experience that part of, you know, running down to the local newsstand to see who's on the cover. 
you know, of, of inside wrestling. So, so a lot of those memories like that. Uh, but that's that's how that's how it all started with me. Every time I see Mike uh, Mike Jackson, I hug his neck because there would have never been uh, a George South. Now I would have did some independent shows and locally like this, but man, I went to ever major uh, federation. Uh, when my kids were growing up, they used to get they'd come home mad from school because you know they some kid had seen me like here on a Monday and then he'd seen me in Atlanta on it. I mean, it's crazy how my kid's dad was, was getting his tail whooped like every night of the week <laughs> in a different promotion. Uh, and, but I, I would not have traded, you know, those, those memories, uh, for nothing in the world. And it really taught me to, to, and I think that's why I'm able to teach these young kids that all I've done there was just kept my mouth shut. I didn't question anything. And then I got to travel, and it was just unbelievable. I, I think today my kids said, "You do? I do it for free today." <laughs> but uh, just that part, I would not have trade traded that part of getting to travel different places, and and like y'all guys said, the territory part of, you know, when Dusty, you know, Dusty sent a bunch of us to Kansas City, you know, for like a year, and man, we got to wrestle every night of the week. Now sometimes the crowds were only, you know, three or four people. But, man, we got to get in that ring. And that's what these young kids do now and need now. I mean, I tell, you know, every, some some of the kids at NXT down there in Florida I still talk to, and, you know, that, they're doing better. They're getting to work shows now, you know, like a little territory. But uh, you got to have that. See, ain't it amazing how, what was it, maybe 15, 20 years ago, WCW had their version of WWE's training center. They had the power plant. And I know you all remember that. That was the state-of-the-art unbelievable place and uh I, I got to go down there a few times but the problem down there the reason that didn't work is all they did was train they never like went out and let these kids wrestle in front of a you know a, a live crowd and uh it didn't it didn't stick around I mean, but it, to me it was just as as nice and uh, uh you know high tech is what wwe has but the guys you know I still believe, and I take these students of mine, when they get ready, see, I take them on the road with me and let them get in front of the people. Because you can only learn so much in a nice building. You need to be in that reaction where you can react with the people. And and that's that's how you really learn, I think. But that was it. That's Mike Jackson took me. I started, you know, meeting Bill Watts and, and just all those great promoters. And, uh, you know, even even Jim Hurd. You know, everybody everybody thinks Jim Hurd was bad for WCW, but I loved him. You know, you know what his first line of business was? His first line of business, not none of the dumb stuff like the ding-dongs and, you know, some of the crazy gimmicks he come up with. His first line of business was all the underneath guys. He got us more money. Can you believe that? Everybody hates Jim Hurd, but I love him. <laughs> his, first, his first week, he got, he got all the underneath guys more money. I don't know why he did that. But man, I sure I sure love him to death, and he he was only there for a short time, and he may have did more damage than he did good. But man, I sure won't say nothing bad about him. <laughs> he got us more money. Absolutely, that's that, that's uh, you know that's the key, and that's the king. <laughs> and you know what's interesting with you, and and I'm sure you've heard this at autograph signings and when people see and talk to you. The one thing that is so interesting about you, and I'm sure. You know, this has got to get you excited as well. Everyone always calls you Ric Flair's favorite opponent. Where did that yeah. come from? Kind of like just the history of it. 
because it is true. He used to love working with you. He said it a million That's times. Right. So why are you Ric Flair's favorite yeah. opponent? Well, you know what a lot of people don't, well, they may remember, a lot of the fans listening is uh, Saturday mornings there with TBS and, and the whole WCW and the whole Superstation and all that. You know, we taped those TVs early in the morning. Uh, a lot of fans didn't realize that. Sometimes it'd be like 9 a.m. in the morning, and those studios would be cold and, and, and just freezing. So you had to keep those. A lot of people didn't know this. You had to keep those TV studios like like below freezing because if you didn't, the cameras would overheat. So a lot of times we're going out there at 9 a.m. in the morning, and the thing with Ric Flair being the world champion, he you know he had these $1,000 suits on, and, and every Saturday morning he would do the taping, but then he'd have to fly out that afternoon. And, you know, it'd be somewhere all over the world because he, I mean, all that sh- all that's a shoot about him wrestling 365 days a year. So with Ric Flair, which I don't blame him, he didn't really want to wrestle in the mornings. Now, he didn't mind doing the interviews, but he didn't want to get undressed, get sweaty, have to take a shower, throw everything back on, and then run to the airport, which I understand that. So one day, Dusty told him, said, Rick, you're going to wrestle on TBS this morning, 9 a.m. And uh, I wasn't there. I was there, but not during the meeting between them two. And Rick Rick didn't want to. He really didn't. I mean, I don't blame him. He had a plane to catch like, you know, an hour after the tapings. And Atlanta Airport was nuts. And, and of course, you know, he, he didn't want to be sweaty. He already had his suit on. And so they, they had words or whatever. And, and Flair had to wrestle. So Flair said, fine, if I got to wrestle, uh, you give me George South. And I didn't know this. I mean, you know, back then, that's what's amazing about our business. Back then, you didn't even know who you was going to wrestle till the curtain opened. I mean, seriously, they hung a little sheet on the wall, and, and, and you saw maybe five minutes. You didn't have time to talk to them. You didn't have – because Flair didn't dress with us anyway, uh, especially at, at TBS down there at Techwood Drives. So Flair said, you give me George. The next thing I know, you know, four minutes before I go to the ring, they tell me I'm wrestling Ric Flair. And you want to talk about nerves. I mean, let me tell you something. And he's the world champion. It's like catching a pass from, you know, like Johnny Unitas. Are you kidding me? So here we go. We didn't talk before. Uh, guys, we didn't plan nothing. Uh, uh, and, and what's amazing, the real special one where we went almost 15 minutes on television, that's with commercial breaks. And I literally had never been so tired in my life. And, and see, what a lot of people laugh at, and I do too. See, I just drove. You know, I didn't fly. You know, I didn't fly to Atlanta. You know, I drove from Charlotte to Atlanta, which was 300 miles, just maybe an hour before this. And so here it is. You know, eight, 9 a.m. in the morning. You look across that ring, and there's the greatest of all time. And buddy, when that bell rings, I'm gonna tell you, he turned it up. He turned it up. And all I did was hold on. <laughs> I'm telling you. And you know what's amazing is when we went to a commercial. I thought, in my mind, I thought, maybe Rick will slow down. But he didn't. <laughs> he went faster in the commercials. And it was uh, unbelievable. And you know what's special about, I wrestled him a, a bunch, but those on TBS are the ones, I, you know, even now, it just happened this past weekend. I go to a show in, like, you know, this little town outside of Charlotte and maybe 200 people, and the first guy to come up to my little gimmick table to get a picture tells me, that he just watched that match with me and Ric Flair on TBS 30 years ago. Hmm. You know, that's what means something to me, guys. Here's a guy that I just met. There's no telling what's happened in this man's life the last 30 years. 
but he can remember and tell you that he just watched you against Ric Flair. So to see that you're a part of somebody's life, man, it's pretty amazing, I think. Uh, and that's what's so special, uh, especially about my life and how much, you know, the, the, the Lord has blessed me. See, I, I've lost more matches. That's what's amazing, guys. You all know this. I've lost more matches than I've ever won. And what's special is for Ric Flair. I mean, you know what, what's – and I didn't get it. I did go by it. But, you know, Charlotte Flair just come out with her book. And my students kept saying, do you have a copy? They said, you, your name's in it. And I and – I, because I, I had a very small part in training in Charlotte. She was actually so good. She only trained in Charlotte for about a week. That's how good she were. She she was, and then she next thing I know she's on WWE TV. But tell me, she wrote about you. They wrote about you. So I went and got her book, of being the big mark that I am. And sure enough, there's about a page and a half of Ric Flair telling the same story I'm just sharing with y'all about how. And, and you know what's amazing? I was uh, before we went to the rings. Uh, I passed Rick in the hall, and he called me Ricky Steamboat. Now you tell me I didn't have enough pressure on me already. And then he calls me Ricky Steamboat. So by the time I got to the ring, Lord, I was a nervous wreck. And I'm thinking, yeah, call me call me Ricky Steamboat. So even now, when Flair sees me like at a convention or something, he'll call me Steamboat. And because I tell you, I just held on. And I literally, when it was over, I crawled back from that ring. I mean, I was so blowed up. But who would have thought then that, you know, 30-something years later, um, and I, I worked him a lot, like when for Jim Crockett here too. But the the one that that was my favorite, and of course I think was Rick's, is uh, and that, that he talks about a lot, even on his podcast, is uh, that one where he didn't really want to work, and he thought, well, if I got to, we're gonna we're gonna go. And you know what's amazing, the way our business has changed, but. Fans still come up and said, man, I thought you were going to beat Ric Flair. <laughs> you know, I tell y'all, well, I thought I was too, but he changed that. But, uh, you know, they, they, we made it believable. And that's how, that's what I love about Ric Flair. A lot of guys, their mindset was, I'm just going to go out here and kill this guy. And I ain't going to give him nothing. I'm just going to beat him up. But Rick was so smart to realize, and he done that with a lot of guys, is I'm going to go out here and I'm going to make this a match. And he did. And 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 I'm still. I mean, I love it. You know, it's kind of neat. I mean, my kids are all grown now. And they went through that phase of watching dad, but I got grandbabies now, and they're getting out of where they're really loving wrestling, and so they're able to. Say, they know who Ric Flair is. It's funny they don't even know their you know their second grade school teacher, but they know who Ric Flair is. <laughs> and but so they they're able to watch those matches that they'll live on forever. So that's that's kind of that story. I mean, it went from Rick not wanting to get undressed, get sweaty, have to put everything back on, catch a plane. I even had a buddy of mine, Dick Bourne, who does the Mid-Atlantic Gateway. He actually looked that up for me a couple weeks ago and saw where Flair, he had to be like in Baltimore that night. So just to do that for my own, you know, my own thinking is he said, now, George, I can tell you where Flair was flying out that night. He was in Baltimore that night. So it's kind of neat to put an ending to it. You know, that's kind of why Flair didn't want it wrestle but he did and i'm sure thankful that he did and so a lot of a lot of people you know that's that, that was a, a lot of people uh part of their life and it still is so pretty neat that's it that's that just why he said give me george i mean i don't know i don't think he knows but i had you know really worked hard and uh even now i mean i, I saw animal of the road warriors a couple weeks ago and he 
you know, he told me too. He said, you know, we all, all of us top guys used to argue on who was going to get you. And I had never heard that. And I just, you know, I'm not, I don't brag or nothing like that, but that really made me feel good that after, you know, almost 40 years of doing this, that, man, it stuck out uh, to some of these guys that you really were. And, and I made a great living. I still do. I mean, my whole concept was I'm going to make somebody look like a million bucks. And and that's when you really have to trust the guy. I don't know how much trust is out there now because there's so many guys getting hurt. But, uh, you know, when I wanted to really go out there, no matter who it was. It didn't have to be Ric Flair, but I was really going to make, you know, somebody. You know, I used to tell the Steiner brothers, you know, I can make y'all look better than y'all were trying to make me make y'all look. You know, because them boys were rough. And uh, I used to tell them, guys, listen, just let me let me do this, okay? But, you know, when they grabbed you and throwed you, you kind of had to hope for the best. But uh, And I, I, I learned early on, you know, each guy's different. You know, I learned a lot from beautiful Bobby Eaton, who I thought was one of the best in the world. I mean, he would adjust. You could put Bobby Eaton in there with a broomstick, and literally he would have the best match because he would adjust to whatever that guy was doing. And you really had to learn. I mean, you'd get in there with Ric Flair, could do everything, anything, and then next next week they'd stick you in there with Elegante, who, okay, what are you going to do with this guy? You know? And you really had to make it, you know, you really had to do something and make him look like he's really this big, giant monster. And so a lot of times it was almost like I was beating myself up more than those guys were. But uh, I really wanted to help. I knew, because, see, I always, I was, I don't know why I was smart in this area, but I knew that if I make Ric Flair look good and he goes out there against Dusty Rhodes, then we're all going to do good because they're going to sell out, you know, the Charlotte Coliseum. And so if I had a small part of that, we all uh, see that, you know, we all uh, uh, profited off that. And see, that's that's when there was no contracts, of course. Y'all know that. You know, you got paid off the house. And, uh, you know, it, so we all got paid good. So I wanted to do my part. And there was a lot of guys, you know, I, I, I'm i not saying they didn't try, but a lot of guys could care less. A lot of them were jealous. Uh, that's the most funniest thing I think in our business is anybody being jealous of anybody. We all have had the same opportunity, and it's just what you do with it. And that's what I tell these girls I'm training now. I said, listen, I don't train y'all no different than I train Tessa. Tessa just took the ball with it and, and ran is the difference. And see, that's 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 the special. It's almost like a running back. Once I hand you that ball, what are you going to do with it? And our our business is no different. So, and I just wanted, uh, you know, anytime they gave me an opportunity, man, I wanted to go out there. I remember I used to wrestle old Black Bart, who was one of my favorites, and he would actually give me so much of the match, John, that he'd get fussed ahead. I mean, he, I mean, I'd beat him to death for twenty minutes, and then he'd catch me, you know, in the end on, with his finish, but. They used to get so mad. The office would get so mad at him because he would sell so much for me. But he really tried to make it a match, and I still believe in that concept myself. I, you know, I know you got to have these big monsters come out here and just squash somebody every now and then. But I really like it to be a contest, and I still think fans want want that too. You know, don't tell me who's going to win this thing till the end of it. And uh, that was kind of it, guys. I, Flair, I, I still, I mean, he. You know, to me, like we was talking about, you know, Vince a while ago, about if Vince ever quits, there's really going to be no promoters left uh, from what we know is a wrestling promoter. And that's how I feel about Rick. When Rick finally says no more, that's my last connection 
I think, and I tell Rick this, to the way uh, wrestling was when I grew up and the territories and, you know, when a champion traveled to other places. And, 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 and that's why, you know, I'm just so glad Rick's still making appearances and stuff like that because, to me, that's my – there's nobody after him that really did, you know, what he did. And so as long as he's out there, man, I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy. Now, you mentioned losing more matches than you won and that role of an underneath guy, you know, the enhancement talent. It's, it's an important role. I know some people say the derogatory terms. A lot of wrestlers, they say jobber and, and different yeah. ways. But the role is very, very important. Can you just talk about how that role is, you know, basically vital to making that star look like a star? It sure is. You know, and, and, and even now, some of the underneath guys, I know in my, you know, when I first started, they were better workers than the main event guys were. Uh, I remember, you know, even when Arn Anderson was an agent uh, for WCW, he would take me around to different guys and kind of go over the match. But he would always tell me before we got to that guy, he would say, George, you do know that it should be the other way around. <laughs> and we'd kind of laugh. In other words, Arn was basically saying that the guy that you're fixing to put over, it should be the other way around. Uh, they are so important. I still think that they, you know, I kind of, uh, and I'm sorry, and I appreciate you so much, John, because, you know, using the right term. I mean, I get very, you know, even J.J. told me one time that the, the jobber term, I kind of hate that because, you know, the underneath guys and the, and the enhancement talent, they were, so, they were so important because we, you know what was special for me is everybody that came to Jim Crockett, they gave them to me. I mean, I and I'm not bragging, but I, I worked real hard. I mean, I can tell you hundreds of guys. I mean, when Greg Muda first came here, he couldn't speak a bit of English and had not worked here at all, and they gave him to me. And so, you know what's amazing about that? My first match with Greg Muda was in Raleigh, North Carolina, up here, where the Coliseum doesn't have dressing rooms together. So I'm on one end of the building, and here's Greg Muda. And I remember Tommy Young, the referee, come over and said, George, he's going to use a moonsault. And here's what's funny, John. Back then, nobody had ever seen a moonsault. My exact words was, what the heck's a moonsault? Now everybody does them. But then nobody had ever seen that. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, he had, you know, Gary Hart was such a blessing to me. You know, he had Gary Hart to help him, you know, uh, translate and stuff like that. You know, and so I'm laying there, and I had never seen a moonsault. You know, Muda's climbing up backwards. And I'm thinking, I think he's fixing to kill me because I don't know what a moonsault is. And next thing you see him do the most perfect moonsault that you've ever seen in your life. And so those special stories, even when they brought guys down to give them a lookout from other places, uh, like I know y'all remember Nails from WWF who had that short run. Well, you know, before Nails, after the AWA shut down, you know, Kevin Kelly, I think was his real name, they brought him to WCW to give him a dark match, and they put him in there with me, and it didn't go too good. <laughs> uh, uh, that ain't me saying it. They never hired him. Uh, but you know one surprise that we laugh about now is way before he was ever the Patriot, uh, Dale Wilkes, he was doing a state trooper gimmick uh, in AWA, and Wallow McDaniels got him a dark match with WCW. So he came here. And I worked him, and I thought, to me personally, it was one of the best matches I ever had. But they never called Dale Wilkes back. We don't know why. I see him a lot now, and I, we still talk and laugh about it. Uh, 
I joked with him that I probably killed his career. But they never called him. They never called him back. And of course, you know, years later he became the Patriot and did real, you know, real good in Japan and all that. But some of those stories like that, you re- you never really knew. I was there when uh, Eddie Guerrero. They brought Eddie Guerrero. A lot of people don't know this. Eddie Guerrero came in and worked like three or four dark matches for WCW before everybody anybody even knew there was an Eddie Guerrero. And he came in. He worked. Uh, matter of fact, he worked Terry Funk on a couple of them. Uh, and never really did anything. And, of course, he came back and, of course, you know, changed the world. But uh, those neat little stories. So me being, you know, the enhancements guy, the underneath guy, I mean, I, I got a lot of opportunities to wrestle guys. Uh, the new breed, I don't know if you all remember them, but when Jim Crockett, Dusty brought the new breed in from Florida, this Chris Champion and Sean Royal, you know, they were going to be, I remember guys were saying, these guys are so good, they're going to be the next Midnight Express. And so they came here and, uh, I think it was me and Rocky King. We had their first match, and it was awful. I mean, it was just awful. And so I realized quick, this ain't the next Midnight Express. Um, <laughs> and, of course, they didn't stick around long after that. So I got a lot of opportunities to, to really get, you know, my feet wet with working some of these guys for the first time. Uh, and so that part of it, uh, I wouldn't have traded. But they were very, very important. I mean, they... Usually nine times out of ten, when I was the underneath guy, I controlled the match, uh, and I still do that to this day. When Brian Pillman first got here, uh, you know what my greatest compliment was now that we're talking? You remember uh, Art Bar? You know, he came to WCW as the juicer, and I had never met him. I didn't know who he was, but he came. He was in Gainesville, Georgia. i never forget. He walked up. I was working. I was going to wrestle him on TV that day for his debut match. And he came up to me in the dressing room, and he shook my hand, and he said, Mr. South, I remember like it was yesterday. He said, Mr. South, he said, I know we never met. He said, but Bobby Eaton told me just to keep my mouth shut and listen. And he said, that's what I'm going to do. And to me, being, you know, underneath and, and just trying to keep a job, that was the most, one of the greatest compliments that I ever gotten. Because I guess he had asked Bobby Eaton about me, knowing that he was going to wrestle me on television. And this was his debut, you know, as the juicer. Uh, nobody had ever seen that. So uh, those little things that it was just complete trust, and we went out there and had a heck of a match, and, you know, he listened. And, and see, I always, another thing, John, see, I never took advantage of guys. A lot of times when you say trust a guy, a guy will just go out there and eat you up, beat you up, never really give you nothing. But, see, I didn't, I knew I, the better I, the better the guy I was with looked, the better I looked, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, so I knew my job was, you know, I didn't need – I learned a lot from Terry Gordy just being around him and watching him. And, and if you watch Terry Gordy, even matches that he won, even with the Freebirds, he got his tail kicked the majority of the match. And here it is, this big, bad heel, and you would, you'd run from him and, and you'd be afraid of him as a kid. But you go back and watch, and he was so good at making other people look good. And I learned so much just by listening to him. And, you know, he used to tell me that when they turned the Freebirds babyface, he hated the comeback. He said, because he wasn't used to doing one. He said, I'm used to having the comeback on me. <laughs> he said, so all of a sudden I'm making the comeback and I didn't like it, you know. And so there's a there's not many of those guys left because y'all know guys in, the, in this business now, it's all about me, me, me. Um, 
But it's a special thing. If you can get if you can get two guys and one of them, all he wants to do is make that other guy look good. And if that other guy believes that same thing, then you're gonna everybody's gonna make money. But you always got one guy, and I run into them every show I go to. It's all about them, and it really ain't. So what I've been able to do, and it's a testament, you know, not only to pro wrestling, but, you know, guys, even my faith is, is I tell people, man, there, I know there's a God because there's no reason George South ever done anything in wrestling. I mean, I've never had a contract. Uh, I have just kept doing I've been able to do. I mean, you know what's cool for me is uh, WWE just released their encyclopedia, their third one, and, man, I got my picture in it. And you, hey, I'm a big mark for that. So here's a guy that just loved wrestling as a kid. And, you know, I watched Wahoo McDaniels one day on television and said, that's what I want to do with my life. And I graduated high school on a Friday, and they throwed me in the ring on a Saturday. And I, I tell people I still don't know what I'm doing, but I'm out there. And for all these years later, I mean, it's pretty neat, I think, because none of it was supposed to to happen. So that's why I can stand there in a ring like I did tonight with, you know, 20 students of all size and shape and tell them that, guys, you can, I mean, dreams come true because you're looking at one. What was it, WWE this week, this week? They just released the WCW shows on the network. And one of my friends sent me a, caps, a, a, a caption shot of his TV. He said, Lord and behold, he said, the first match tonight on, on the network, on the WCW shows, is you against Johnny B. Bad. I don't know how long ago that was, but that's kind of neat. Uh, and still, my, you know, I don't think, my, kid, my kids tell me every day, Dad, we ain't never going to get rid of you because you're going to live on this network thing because uh, <laughs> they have showed, so, you know, forever. So... They, uh, and, you know, they've showed all, I mean, there's matches on there I forgot I even done that are starting to pop up on there. So, the under, I, you know, I, to me, like when I used to go to the matches, see, I never wanted to leave. I mean, even now, guys, you know, you go to a show and guy will wrestle first and then they'll leave for whatever reason, even even not a WWE show. Uh, uh, you talk about local independent, they're just in a hurry to go. I never wanted to do that. In other words, if I was like second match, I would sit out there and I would watch the first match. It may be Denny Brown and, you know, Mike Davis, who I just, man, I've copied everything those guys did. And then, you know, the next match may be Sam Houston against Black Bart or something like that or Ronnie Gar. So, man, I wanted to take in. I used to hate it when a show was over. I mean, I was married, kids. You know, I had to get home, probably had a show to do the next day. But, man, I, 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 did, I hate it. I think I still do. I hate it when it's over because... Man, I just wanted to be like a sponge and just take in. And, and, you know, I tell people all the time, even when you watch a bad match, that's not a bad thing. I mean, seriously, we all can't have good matches. Even when I watch a bad match, I try to learn from it because sometimes, you know, stuff just don't work. And to see how guys adapt, because sometimes people just don't like what you're doing. And see, I'm so thankful. I tell Les Thatcher all the time. I'm so thankful because I learned a lot from him and how, you know, I can go out there and if it don't work, I can I can adjust and I can change it to something that may work. And see, that's a whole other lost art in itself. Uh, but yeah, I, I I tell you, I I become more friends with the underneath guys and 
and learn just as much from them. Because you know what's amazing, John, and you know this too, is a guy could work underneath here and then go to Memphis and be like the top guy. Uh, or, you know, leave here and go to Portland and be like the star up there. And, I mean, I knew guys that were on top other places and came here, and, they were, you know, there was just no room for them on top. But they made a great living, you know, like underneath or in the middle. Uh, and so I was able to learn. What I've tried to do, guys, is just do – I've seen guys do so many stupid things. I mean, I've seen guys make that could have made millions and just do dumb things. And I'm just so thankful to the Lord that I did the opposite. It ain't that I'm a saint by no means, but I said, okay, if this guy, I mean, I've seen guys, you know, work for peanuts, I mean, literally, and get a job with Crockett or World Class, and then somebody tell them to go out there and lose. And then they refuse to lose. It didn't matter how much money you're going to make, they would refuse to lose. And I never understood that. And so they'd probably get fired or they'd walk out. I never understood that. You know, you were starving or making $20 a week last week doing the same thing. But now, all of a sudden, you know, you're not going to put that guy over. It's just amazing to me sometimes. And so I would see this and take it all in and say, okay, George, you know, you may be dumb in other areas, but you ain't going to do that. Uh, you know, I saw a honky-tonk man who I love him. I mean, I know he gets heat sometimes, but I love him. You know, I was there with him at WCW when... You know, they just brought him in, and then it was like two weeks later, they wanted him to put Johnny B. Bat over, like one, two, three in the middle. And Honky Tonk Man said no. And a lot of people got mad over that. But see, I was there, and I saw it. See, Honky Tonk Man didn't mind putting Johnny B. Bat over, but let's prolong it a little bit. Does that make sense, John? In other words, let's, yeah. let's get a little feud out of this. Then, absolutely. Let's, you know, and and so, I, and that's that's the whole reason. So they didn't want it uh, to do it that way. And Honky Tonk basically said, "Well, I'm leaving," and I don't blame him. I mean, he didn't have a problem putting this young kid over that had just broken the business. But let's, you know, don't just do it one night and be done with it. Let's let's make it mean something. And and of course, that's a whole other can of worms right there. But. Uh, you know, just to see some of these angles, and, and, and I was just in a neat spot. You know, I always said when Dusty Rhodes had a, a company meeting, you know, I wasn't even important enough. Now, I went to all of his meetings, but, you know, they used, always used to joke with me that I wasn't important enough to fire. You know, he, he never threatened to fire me because I wasn't important enough. Uh, <laughs> you know, I thought, well, wait a minute now. Is that a compliment or what? But, uh, you know, just, and, and I just soaked it all in. And, uh, you know, I'm able, I tell people, it's kind of like what Rick Flair said about Steamboat. You know, everybody saw their great matches, and, and Flair said, yeah, but we had just as many that nobody will ever see because nobody taped it or, or you know, and that's kind of how I feel. I mean, I've tried to document all the great, great things that have happened, and, and but there's so many great things that, I mean, I just wrestled Al Snow a couple weeks ago up in West Virginia, and it was probably the most fun that I had ever had at a wrestling show. I mean, I literally mean that. I mean, you know, you had all these guys on the show that did all these flips, and, you know, the first three matches, they dove out on the floor and about killed each other. Well, here comes me and Al, and, you, of course, you know, Al brings, you know, head his mannequin with him. Well, I had more heat as a bad guy arguing with that referee over 
I didn't agree that this was going to be a tag match. Now, I know that sounds goofy, John, but here's Al Snow with a wig head, literally a wig head. And I'm on the microphone arguing with this ref that unless I can go get a partner, we're not going to do this. I mean, it may never, ever work again anywhere else, but that night those people got so mad at me because I wouldn't wrestle. And see, that's such a lost art. I mean, I had people throwing stuff because they wanted, I guess they wanted me to go get a partner and come back out here. And so we went for about 15 minutes. A lot of people think you're being lazy. They think you're not working. See, that's as big of a part of our business as if I picked a chair and, and hit Al over the head with it. Does that make sense, John? You know, there's a, uh, I had those people so mad and so excited over, by the time Al touched me, that place, they they were wanting him to kill me. Uh, and see, that, I don't even know if you can teach anymore. You just got to learn it. But it, it, And, of course, guess how Al wins? He gets me over the head with head. So him and head beat me. So everybody's happy. See? Now, most guys now, if you put them in there with Al Snow, because I've seen it, they don't go in there with the mindset that I'm going to make Al Snow and this wickhead look like a million bucks. Their mindset really is, I hope Al's ready to make me look good. And and that's, you know, and I know it's kind of hard to understand sometimes, people, but I'm just so thankful for that. And so we went tore the house down. And we were like third match on the card. And so nobody could follow it. And they didn't understand. It ain't what you, you know, it ain't how many moves you do. It ain't how fast you go. And see, we we didn't plan on doing that, but those people ate it up. And that's what I'm thankful for most is that I, I can call an audible and we can have fun with this weak head. And so the referee played along with it. He agreed that, okay, head can't get involved. So head's going to have to, you know, sit there at ringside. And, you know, as a wrestler or a performer, you're actually thinking, I can't believe this is actually working. But, you know, I got some old guy over here ready to kill me because he thinks I'm threatening to hit a woman, which is head, you know? So you you look back, and, and several times me and Al would laugh and think, I cannot believe that these people are so hungry for, for entertainment and they just want to yell and scream and boo and cheer that we had – we we had the best match on the card with a styrofoam head. <laughs> now that's when you know both guys know what they're doing. So and that don't happen much. But yeah, uh, to to answer that question, guys, I, I I tell you, if you look back and and sometimes I can even watch some of the old underneath matches and those guys really controlled, you know, the match. And when you get in there with a guy, even Hogan, you know, Hogan will tell you there were so many guys that were a part of making you know, Hulk Hogan. And, 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 you know, back then, now they'll feed you everything. You sit on your couch, you can see two main event guys. But early on, you never saw two guys touch each other on television, That that you know, the big names. So we got the guys ready. And, of course, like I said earlier, when they go to the Coliseums or the, the big high school gyms, they would sell out because, you know, the people couldn't wait for, you know, Wahoo to get his hands on Black Jack Mulligan because you didn't get to see that on television. And so you went and bought the tickets, and, of course, you went to the Coliseums and stuff. So kind of neat how all that just worked out. It's a lost art, and I know there's a lot of fans out there that still really clamor for what you guys did, and as simple as that is. But i got to hit this before we kind of hit the latter part of the show. 
And that is, you know, my first exposure to seeing you is obviously John and I are up in the north. So we got WWF TV, but we also got the Superstation. So we got to see TBS. And it was one little section, I remember, in 1989, 1990, where George South was popping up on both sides of the television. And I remember even at a younger age being like, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. He must be awesome that he's in both huge promotions at the time. But, you know, being more in the Southern-based territories, how was that jumping in there to the WWF at that point? And obviously Dusty was there and uh, Arn and Tully yeah. were there and even – Guys like Sam Houston were there, so it was a lot of familiar faces, but just, you know, obviously a huge different game being it's Vince's, you know, territory instead of being in the South. Yeah. Well, you know, John, and I kind of jokingly relate it to, like, Dorothy, you know, when she went through the tornado and she landed and she said, you know, we're not, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Listen, when I first went to WWF, I mean, I'm telling you, I, I left WCW. John, where they were still carrying, like, their rings in, like, flatbed trailers. I mean, like I do. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how I haul my ring around. But when you arrive at WWF for the first time, you it's really like the Wizard of Oz. I mean, my first experience, we landed, and you start seeing these WWF ring trucks. I mean, literally transfer trucks with their logos on it. And you can say, oh, yeah, wow, George. But, I'm, I mean... Coming from the south down here, where uh, you didn't see stuff like that. I mean, we're we're the ring crew, all matching jumpsuits with the logos on the back, and, and so it didn't take me long to realize. Okay, now I know why everybody's jumping ship and going to WWF is because it really was. Even back in the early, you know, the nineties and late eight, they were the place to go, and here it is. See, I loved everybody. Uh, you know, a lot of times people said, well, Vince hated Jim Crockett. Jim Crockett hated Vince. And that may have been true or may not, but the boys really liked each other because basically, like you just said, John, I would leave here and go up there, and it'd be almost the same crew. Uh, you know, I'd go up there and, and, and Big Boss Man, but he was just down here as a Big Boss Man, but up there he's Ray Trailer. I mean, he's, he's, well, vice versa. You know, he was Bubba down here, and so you're really – you really knew all the guys, but my first experience, and I had so many great stories of what you just asked me, is they paid us in cash. And I know that sounds crazy, but even WCW, if you went to WCW for the first time, you had to wait two weeks to get your check. You had to get into the cycle, the way the checks were delivered, so you almost didn't get your check. You go to WWF, and I'll never forget this, Arnold. I can't even say his name, Arnold Skoklin, the, the, the Bob Backlund and Bruno manager. He was the pay guy, and he would come out before TVs and the shows were over, and he'd have one of these brand-new Heidelberg briefcases, and they would you'd, be, you'd stand in line, and they would pay you cash. I'm talking brand-new $100 bills. So, hey, I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't want to leave. I mean, I'm <laughs> thinking, I ain't nobody, and, and I want to jump shit. You know that was the first place? that I, I got catering, you know, now now all the wrestling shows, even independent shows, cater food in. But that was the first place uh, that we I went, and they fed all the boys, not just the wrestlers. I mean, I'm not talking, you know, ham sandwiches either. I'm talking, you know, ribeyes and steak and just rolls. I mean, just that they cared enough. And I knew right then. Everybody got mad because, you know, the NWA guys were jumping ship and going to WWF. and Man, I loved it. And I, I like I said, I, I wasn't even important enough to even matter, but 
I knew right then that man, I, I, I could I could really enjoy this. And you know the first time, John, a lot of people don't know this. The first time Brutus Beefcake cut my hair, Jay Strongbow came over to me and he said, uh, Do you mind getting your hair cut? And I said, Of course not. And they said, Well, we're gonna pay you three hundred bucks. And I said, Dang, you shaved me bald. I don't care. Uh <laughs> But you know what, y'all? What was amazing? That was three hundred plus the one fifty that I got paid for the match. So I just made four hundred and fifty bucks. Can you believe I actually had like outlaw wrestlers and independent wrestlers laughing at me because I was getting my hair cut on TV? And you know what? You know what I knew WWF is the big time. After Brutus Beefcake cuts your hair, they take you and they had a full time beautician on staff that you got to go to her, and if he kind of went crazy and cut out, you know, cut out a gap, which I didn't care anyway, it'd grow back, she would fix it. So not only have I got 450 bucks in my pocket, I just ate a huge plate of ribeye, and, and then I'm getting my hair done. Now, if they took care of me like that, can you imagine the top guys, how, they got, how much they got took care of? So, see, it was as different as night and day. Now, WCW, what's funny, when WWE started catering, the next time I went to WCW, they had catering. <laughs> it's like they're trying to keep up with each other. But you know the most impressive thing, John, and I wrote about this in my little book, is the first TV I ever went to, we kind of got lost. It was like me and like four other guys. So we went down this hallway. It was like up in Stanford somewhere anyway, as a building, the Civic Center. And the first person I happened to meet was Vince McMahon. Now, if you think I didn't like, you know, pee in my pants, buddy, here he is. And do you know what impressed me the most? He knew every one of our names. He didn't say, hey, guys. He didn't say, the line's that way. Uh, Y'all ain't supposed to be here. He stepped out and shook every one of our hands. It was like me, David Isley, Tommy Angel, a lot of Nelson Rolls guys, like five of us. He knew every one of our names. And, you know, so many years later, I've never forgot that. Because, you know, I've always heard that, you know, Vince knows if there's wrestling in the darkest caves of Africa somewhere, Vince knows about it. I really believe that. I really do. Because... I think he, and that's, I think that's the difference why, you know, uh, I think WWE is, a, a, even to this day, it is a wrestling company. And I think everybody else is, because it's just amazing that, um, and I, you know, I've never, I would never say, uh, even when things get goofy up there sometimes with some of their angles, they were always good to me. I mean, it's amazing. It's like Terry Taylor says. Terry Taylor will tell you this now. He said, I was only the Red Rooster for like a month, but he re even today, more people remember him as Red Rooster. You know, he was he's wrestled for 30 years. He was great, you know, did great with Bill Watts, but he said more people remember me as the Red Rooster than they do anything else I've ever done. That's how strong, uh, you know, that, that WWF was. And so it was, it was just cool. And, and to be on like Monday Night Raw against the Rockers or, Somebody like that. I mean, you can't, man, you can't put a price tag on those memories, uh, you know, like that. And so I, I, I loved every moment of it. And, and uh, you know, still to be in touch with a lot of those guys now and to see Cedric there and, 
And you know the way the circle of life of wrestling is? Here's what I try to tell people. Cedric is meeting the same people, and they are helping him, are the same people that I was in the ring with. So, John, if I would have been a jerk years ago, do you see how that would affect Cedric right now? It would. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And see, nobody understands that. That's why I tell people. You, you, know, you may think you can be a jerk right now and it don't affect people, but it does. And so I'm just so thankful. Not, I mean, he's worked hard and deserve everything he's getting, but it makes my heart just, man, bust with joyment when Michael Hayes will go up and help him. And Michael Hayes will, will and, and it just, that's a part of me. And I believe that with all my heart that, you know, me acting like I had some sense is, has paid off. Not just for me, but for, for, for the ones that, that are with, you know, Tessa. She just made a movie with The Rock, and I mean, here's a girl that walked into me, and I, I was, I, you know, she beat me up, she beat me to death the first six months of her career. She didn't, I mean, she just grabbed me and suplexed me, and but you know, she just made a movie uh, with The Rock. Now, in my mindset, the way this business works, and see, you just gotta again leave wrestling better than you found it. And you know what really is neat, guys? And I know I'm getting all sobby here, but. Tessa just did a seminar uh, in Florida and had over 20 students show up to this seminar. Man, you think I didn't run through the yard hooping and the hollering when I heard that? I mean, here it is, a young girl that's very young in the wrestling business, but she's already given back to professional wrestling. And if I had a small part of, of teaching her that, then, oh, you dang right I'm going to brag about it. So, but even today, I, you, hey, I'd go to WWF in a heartbeat. These young students always ask me, guys, well, what, what does it take to get up there? I said, if I knew that, I'd be there, okay? We just got to work hard and see if we can get lucky. But, uh, you know, that part of it, you know, Road Dog, all those guys that I traveled with and, and, and respected and still respect, and, and, you know, it's just so special that they are actually helping some of the students that I've got up there right now. So uh, it does matter how you you the old saying that you better be nice to people on the way up so that's how you pass whatever on the way up. That's in the wrestling business. It has never been more truer because it does all come back around. And I'm just glad that uh, you know I wasn't I wasn't perfect by no means. I messed up so many times, but man, I've just tried to stick with it. And, and the rewards, uh, John. I'll tell you this. You know, Cedric WWE. Just, I still call them baseball cards. You know, WWE just released their newest edition of the Topps uh, wrestling cards. And Cedric opened up the mailbox a couple of days ago, and Cedric sent me some of him. And, you, I mean, you know, people say, George, you're getting you're getting goofy, but you know how much that meant to me? Charlotte, North Carolina, takes care of his mom, just the greatest guy in the world, getting a break. And he thought enough of his old trainer to send him some of these top. I mean, to me, I think that's cool. You know, my kid said, Dad, you'd rather have that than you would money. <laughs> but, you know, just to see a kid that's – and I think I got more excited about the cards than, than Cedric did. But ain't that just neat how in his short career he's getting stuff like that. And and I was so glad to get that that he thought enough to send those. So those little things like that that you can't put a price tag on, it means that – Man, we may have done a little something to help Cedric or Tessa or some other kids get to where, you know, where they're at right now. So, just just special no, that's, time. 
That's so awesome. And again, it's really cool to hear you be so uh, you know emotionally invested with both Tessa and with Cedric. But before I just I want to close the book on the WWF stuff. We've asked it to Arn Anderson. We've asked it to Tony Schiavone. And basically, I think we even asked Tully, anybody who was in the WWF when Dusty was there. It didn't matter what you were doing. I got to know, was it weird to see Dusty just being a part of the roster after seeing him in that management role and being the booker for their main rival all those years, but now being in the WWF is just one of the boys? Well, you know, a funny story, John, and a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, before Dusty went, you know, he went back to Florida and tried to, to, to get Florida restarted. And uh, Black Bart tells it better than I do, but Black Bart was there with Dusty, and WWF called Black Bart to come up there. They were going to do an angle with Black Bart against Ron Bass. And this, I thought it would have been great, and they were actually was going to bring Black Bart's wife involved to where these two cowboys feuded like back on the prairie over the girl. And so they asked Black Bart to come, and Black Bart went to Dusty and asked Dusty what to do, and Dusty said, no, don't go. He said, stay here with me. You know, we're getting ready to pop Florida wide open. So Bart told, uh, oh, gosh, I forgot who he said. It may have been one of the Briscoe. Anyway, he told him, no, I'm not coming. So they laughed at him and hung up on him. Well, three weeks later, Dusty left. Florida. <laughs> it was in WWF. So even now, Black Bart, if you get him fired up, he gets to cussing and a hooping and a holler. And that, you know, I stayed and told him, no, it's Pat Patterson. That's who it was. Bart said, I can still hear Pat Patterson laughing at me when I told him no. But when I went, the special thing about Dusty up there, what, what I love about this whole story is. I believe to this day that they really tried to, I don't want to say embarrass Dusty, but they were going to give him one of the dumbest gimmicks in the world and and almost make fun of him, but Dusty was so good. I'm telling you, you could have put Dusty in a, a bed sheet, and he would have went out there and got it over. And you know the special thing about Dusty? He, had, he still had power up there, John. He didn't have to wrestle anybody that, he didn't want to. In other words, on the TV, choose who he was going to wrestle. And his first TV match, uh, matter of fact, I just watched it on YouTube, is he, he picked me. So we got to go out there. Here's Dusty and the polka dots and the dancing and against me. And so he had still had control. You know one of my, one of my funniest stories? You know, they brought Sapphire. Do you remember her, the, the, the lady oh, yeah, manager, Sapphire? Well, you know, they wow. brought her in. Yeah, you know, they brought her in up there, and this sounds funny nowadays, but she couldn't she couldn't talk black. And I, and that's not racist or anything like that, but they wanted her to draw that, 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 cr- that crowd in, if that makes sense. And, of course, I'm talking, you know, early 90s. There's nothing wrong with that. She, she was trying. But do you realize they brought Dusty in to help her learn to do that rap? <laughs> Can you believe that? So we got to watch. So here's Dusty showing her how to do that rap. And I just thought, unbelievable. But you know, a lot of people don't know, but Dusty loved being able to be one of the boys. And see, that was the thing with me and Dusty. He took so good care of me. Do you know, I told Dustin this, his son, the other day. When I was working for Dusty here, whether John, whether I had one day a week or seven days a week on the road, Monday morning, I would call Dusty at the office, 
And I'm so glad now that I did that, but every Monday morning I would call him and thank him. Now, why I did this, I have no idea, but I wanted him to know how much I appreciated what he did for me. And after a while, it became like you would say, okay, George, I know. And then after a while, he wouldn't even answer the phone. I mean, he knew it was me. But now that I look back, I'm so glad that I thanked him for what he was doing for me. So seeing him up there, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world because, first of all, he got it over. I mean, he did. He went out there, and the people loved him up there as much as they loved him, you know, down here. And he really, the few times I got to talk with him, like I remember one time we sat down for uh, to eat, and it was just me and him at a table. That's probably the first time it was just me and him. And he, he dug right in to start eating. And I jokingly, I said, uh, Dusty, I said, you're not going to say your prayer? You're not going to say your blessing? And he looked at me like, and he said, yeah, go ahead. So we prayed. I mean, I know it sounds goofy, but here it is. I'm telling the American dream something, you know. And he stopped and looked at me like, what are you doing? So we prayed before we ate. So just those special moments that here's the American dream. And with just me and him, and 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 I'm telling you, it's one of those stories you know you hear that you, you you really appreciate somebody when they're gone. I'm just so thankful that I tried to really show Dusty my appreciation while he was here, because I'm and you know towards later on in his career, you know he got he started working a lot of independent shows and was selling out. I mean you know my buddy Tony Hunter ran a couple shows here in the Carolinas with him against Tully. And, man, it was like standing room only in some of these high schools. And so fans really got to reconnect. But here's here's what, and I'm going to shut up, John. I'm, we'll get off of this. But here's what I told Dustin the other, the other day. I went to, like, some Bluefield, West Virginia National Guard Armory a couple months ago. I mean, this was, like, so far in the sticks. I'm not lying. These people didn't even have cell phones. I mean, they didn't want cell phones. And... We go, we drew like 500 people in this armory, and we just set up our gimmick tables. There really was no names on the show. It was just people were starving for wrestling. The first family that come up to my table started telling me how much they loved Dusty Rhodes and how much Dusty Rhodes was their favorite, and they bragged on him and bragged on him and how much they wished they could have met him. And, and this went on for like 20 minutes. I mean, I'm talking the coal minest dirtiest little old town. I don't even know how we found it. And so the next week, I called Dustin, and I said, I just want you to know uh, how special your dad was. Uh, I said, not only did he sell, I know he sold out Coliseums, and he was the American dream, you know, in WWF, and Florida, and all that, but the smallest reaches, and see, that's what professional wrestling's all about, God. The smallest reaches, uh, places that you can think of, Dusty Rhodes made an impact. Uh, on people's lives. And I think that really blessed Dustin. And, and I mean, I just wanted to share that with him. And I told a bunch of people that. That's just amazing that Dustin had never, probably never even been to that town. But they had a favorite wrestler. That was the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, he did sell out Coliseums, and he was a legend. But he also was a legend in some of these places that you wouldn't even think he would be able to reach. So now that's when you talk about, you know, star power right there. And, 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 and that's why somebody like Dusty Rhodes, I think, will just live on forever. But, yeah, he loved it up there. The times I got to dress with him, it's kind of neat to go from him being your boss. And it wasn't like he stepped down, but he wanted to, like, dress in the dressing room, you know, with the boys. And he wanted to be the boys. And, uh, 
and, and they just ran with it. I mean, once they gave him the polka dots, and he got the plumber's son over, and he's out there dancing, and, and people are loving it, I mean, he just showed why he's the American dream. Awesome stuff. I love, we, you know, we love Dusty on this show. Great stories of you and him, and I love hearing that. But as we start to hit the wind-down button, as we start to wind it down, i got to ask you about your career because you've literally wrestled everywhere. Like you mentioned before, you probably wrestled eight different territories at the same time. So do you yeah. have a favorite place that you actually worked, or is that impossible to say? Well, uh, for me personally, uh would be here. I know I lived in Charlotte. Well, I've lived outside of Charlotte all my life, but there used to be an old place in Charlotte called the Charlotte Park Center. Now, Crockett ran that every Monday night. I mean, that's where I went when I was six years old as a kid and got to see Wahoo and Paul. And, and of course, they had the Coliseum here, but they only ran that like on Christmas or something. So the Charlotte Park Center, now, it's still standing. They've they've changed the name of it and gutted it out and tried to make it like college, you know, parking area and stuff like that. But uh, that's the same place, the same ball field that the Great American Bashes that Crockett did all those years, uh, which was connected to the Park Center. So personally for me, uh, of all the places I've ever been, uh, to be able to wrestle, now they don't do it anymore, but I actually got to wrestle uh, in that Charlotte Park Center. And to me, uh, it will always be so dear to me because that's where I went to the back door at six years old and, and you know, knocked on the door and tried to get Blackjack to let me in, you know. And then uh, when I learned that if I got there early enough, when the rain showed up, they would let me in. I, I was too dumb to realize it was to help them set the ring up. I just knew that, oh, my goodness, all of a sudden I'm inside. And then the wrestlers, you know, to go get coffee for them. You know, my favorite all time was was number one Paul Jones. You know, he tagged with uh, Wahoo, and of course made made great money here. And he was real big in Florida, and and I still talk to him today. I mean, he lives in Atlanta. Of course, he's retired and much older now. But it's amazing. I, I'm 56 years old, and when I talk to him, I still get tongue tied. And, John, I know you're probably going to hang up on me. You think I've been hit in the head too many times. But <laughs> that's still, you know, and, and he'll get me worked up sometimes because he'll say, well, George, you know that I really didn't hate Black Jack Mulligan. And, I, and I'll say, Paul, shut up. I don't want to hear that. Yes, you did. You know, because as a kid, that was the big feud in the Carolinas was Paul Jones against Black Jack Mulligan. And so even now, Paul, the, you know, some old, to play an old rib on me, he thinks, is he'll say, well, we were good friends. And, and I don't want to believe that. You know, even he'll say, yeah, we wouldn't have had a beer after we beat each other up. And I'll say, Paul, shut up, please. You know, you're breaking my heart. But to be able to be friends with him, I mean, I had all, the, I made scrapbooks of him when I was a kid. And it's funny because now he says, he said, Joe, do you remember when I used to send you to get coffee? And I'd say, yeah, I love doing it. But when I'd come back, you'd be gone. He'd say, exactly. So I can remember that, you know, Paul, because I was bugging the crap out of him. He'd send me to get coffee, and then when I'd go, he'd leave. <laughs> you know, hmm. I'd come back and say, where'd he go? That's just because I was probably driving him crazy. But uh, honestly, John, to become friends with those guys, I mean, I've wrestled in the mid. Now, it was pretty neat now to be a fan of Jerry Lawler and wrestle in the Mid-South Coliseum on a show with Jerry Lawler. 
Now, that's like Elvis coming home. You know a funny story, John? The first time WCW ran Memphis, we ran the Mid-South Coliseum, and I'll never forget this. They tried to turn the lights off. You know how they all look with one light over the ring and turn all the other lights off? But the building manager wouldn't let them. He told them, you can't touch those lights because Jerry Lawler owns them. So we had to, John, we had to do the whole WCW show with all the lights on in the building because we couldn't, nobody could touch them because they were Lawler's lights. You tell me how, how much power you got in the city when you own the lights in the Coliseum. Uh, so just to do that, you know, of course, the, now I never got to wrestle in the old Sportatorium in Dallas, but I got to see it before they tore it down. I actually, you know, me and some guys actually broke in it, and I'm proud to say it. Uh, I mean, it was they were getting ready to condemn. Well, it was condemned. They were getting ready to tear it down. So we actually got to get in, go in it and walk around. And uh, you know what was spooky, and I, I can't believe it just got tore up, is Fritz von Erich's desk was still in that sportatorium. And it was like one of these oak, solid oak. You couldn't have lifted it with 50 men. But nobody had ever got that out of there. And you know what was neat? It had uh, carvings in it from the, all the Fritz's kids and the, and the grandbabies and all them. They had all carved stuff in it. Now, you tell me that shouldn't be in, like, the Smithsonian somewhere. Uh, but it all got, every bit of it got tore down, every bit of it. And you know what's even sadder? There's nothing in its place now. If you can believe it, it's just weeds. So they tore that beautiful building down. So, yeah, if I had to pick one, it would still be my – now, Florida was – well, I'll, I'll go on all night. But Florida was cool. Go, walking in Tampa, Florida, where they did TV all those years with Dusty, getting ready to – you know, walking in that little TV building and doing TV there was, you know – now that all these buildings are gone, you really you really appreciate being able to, you know, perform in some of those buildings. But I, I would still stick with the Charlotte Park Center, you know, here in Charlotte. Because that, that was I, I spent as much time in there as a kid as I did as a wrestler. And, and you know, I still drive by there like tonight. My school is actually two blocks down from Jim Crockett's old office where we went in all those years and got paid and, you know, they kept the cage and the ring. And, and so I drive by there every night when I leave training. Man, it almost breaks your heart to know how much money came through that little old building. And now it's it's just like office buildings and stuff. But you think, man, that's where Dusty created all these angles and the Starcades and the Great American Bow. All this was created in that little building right here. And and now, you know, people drive by it every day and don't even know the the history of it. So stuff like that, you know, I probably got too much time on my hands. <laughs> uh, but stuff like that really, you know, I, I don't know. It really, I tell people all the time in Charlotte why there's not a, like, Wahoo McDaniel Boulevard or, but you know, John, and I'll do this, and I know I got uh, we'll have to wrap this up. It, we'll, I could talk all night. I think y'all have introduced me, and I've talked for two hours, I think. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Wahoo McDaniels, who was one of the toughest men I'd ever met in my life, even, I remember one night he wrestled Ric Flair in the main event, and we were taking the ring down, and I walked through the dressing room, and I looked, and Wahoo's standing in front of a mirror, sewing up. He's sewing up his own head. Uh, John, I mean, he really, he's, he's sewing up his own, he, he's, he's sewing his own stitches. And I said, wow. And he said it beat going to the doctor, but here's 
what's so special to me? Well, towards the end of Wahoo's life, he got real sick, and nobody really knew it. We knew he was he was sick, but you know, Wahoo to me was always like John Wayne, and you know, he was never going to die. He was going—I mean, he was literally one of the toughest men I'd ever seen. I've seen him and Johnny Valentine just like beat to beat each other to death. Anyway, Wahoo had got sick, and I had heard that he was in a hospital here in Charlotte. And it was under Ed McDaniels, and, and it was an old-timer that y'all may not remember. His name was Wally Dusick. He was actually Frank Dusick's dad who wrestled in Florida. But Wally built, he was a wrestler in the 50s of the Dusick game, and he actually was the one that built all of Jim Crockett's rings. Well, anyway, Wally Dusick's wife was best friends, uh, her and Wally with Wahoo. So I called her like at 2 in the morning, and I said, Joyce, I'll never forget it. I said, I think Wahoo's in the hospital here in Charlotte would you go with me to see him? I said, because I don't know if it's going to be him. So anyway, long story short, me and her went over to the hospital. We went down this long, dark, you know, hallway, and I didn't know what I, what was going to be at the other end. I mean, I didn't know if this was Wahoo McDaniel. But anyway, uh, John, it was. And, I, man, I get, I get so emotional because I got to go in this room and I got to spend, because he passed away a week later, but I got to go in this room and, and just love on him a little bit. I mean, he, he was amazing because he still had that temper. You know, he was wanting to get out of that hospital, and they wasn't going to let him. But I was able to just, me and him, and of course Joyce, but I got to spend, I mean, this is my childhood hero right here. You know, and, and I know a lot of people, they don't want to hear that. They want to hear the wild stories and the partying and all this. But I got to spend some of his last moments with my hero and just tell him how much I loved him. And, 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 and so... See, stuff like that, uh, that's what pro wrestling means to me. And people say, George, that's probably the most boring story, you know, I've ever heard. But to me, being a child and, and, and knowing Wahoo's career and he played football and I saw him in all these great matches, but to be able to be there, you know, uh, with him, uh, I mean, I got to go down and, and spend time with Black Jack Mulligan. You know, me and him ate a – he loved Hardy's sausage biscuits. And he was still a very, very big man. He's one of the biggest men I've ever been around. But we sat on his back porch, and we ate sausage biscuits till we got sick. And you can say, George, <laughs> you've lost your mind. But here he is, Blackjack's gone. You know, these heroes are gone. But those little memories, see, it ain't all about money. I tell my students that all the time. I know we all got to make money, and we all want to get rich. But I'm telling you, and I tell Tessa this every day, and she believes it. See, everybody wants to get to that destination. But I swear, if you forget the journey, John, and this is all George South's about, if you forget that journey, none of it matters. And I, that's what I instill in my students. Uh, I know we all want to get to that place where we all make money and we're all at the main event of WrestleMania. But literally, if you miss this journey of pro wrestling, you miss it all. And I believe that with all my heart. So the times with Blackjack, you know, uh, on his porch, I mean, oh, my gosh. I would not trade those for all the money in, in Fort Knox because they're never going to happen again. Uh, you know, I had Wahoo autographed his, his football card for me uh, a couple of years ago before he passed. I'm so glad I did because you're never – you know what he did one night, John? Uh, and I know I'm getting off on a, a rabbit chase, but I asked Wahoo one night. I said, do you have an old neat pad or something? That I can, I got a little wrestling museum down at my house that I just got some neat stuff that that means something to me. And I said, 
uh, Wallace said, well, next time I see you, I'm going to bring you something. So I'm thinking, you know, two weeks ago, two weeks passed by, I'm thinking he's going to bring me like an old knee pad or maybe if I got lucky, an old pair of tights or something, just something that would mean something to me. Johnny come walking up with a bag in his hand, and he said, here, he threw the bag at me. I caught it, and it was one of his headdresses, if you can oh believe that. Gosh. Wow. And, wow. I mean, I'm literally, I, I about dropped it because, <laughs> oh, I, I, I mean, it was like, oh, my gosh. And it was like, you know, Brett Farr throwing his jersey to me. But I caught it, and I, I swear, first time in my life, I think I was speechless. But he said, you need to go lock that in your trunk, he said, because there's no more left. And so I went right then. I think I even forgot I was at a wrestling show. I went right then. I locked it in my trunk, sat on top of my truck, welded it shut. But, you know, even that today, and I knew then what he just gave me, but now as he's passed, and, I mean, I've had guys that knew him said, George, you, do you realize how lucky? Because he wouldn't even give, I mean, he wouldn't even give his own family one of those headdresses. So to be able for me to pass that down, you know, to my grandbabies and my kids. And, and and so, I mean, I have, and it ain't bragging, but I've got, I mean, I know it's Wahoo's headdress because he, he, throw, he threw it at me. So, wow. I mean, and I've had guys, that, oh, these collectors have offered me, oh, my God, my kids would kill me if I if they knew how much I was offered for these headdresses. Uh, you know, because they want to sell it. You know, they may not put them through school. But, those moments, again, again, and it goes back to what I said. You think if I was a jerk, well, who would have even considered giving me, uh, you know, a headdress? So so I have that, you know, at the house. And, man, just just those little stories like that that I could go on and on. And it's just that's the journey is the, is the greatest part. I don't care if you're world champion of WWF, Impact Wrestling, whatever. But if you miss this journey... And, and and I really instill that in Tessa and Cedric. Uh, you know, a couple a uh, couple weeks ago, WWF uh, released a picture. They had they were starting to put the cruiserweights picture, John, on the side of these ring trucks I told you about. And you know, when they drive around town, you had all these cruiserweights. Well, Cedric's picture's on there, and he's smiling. They got like eight people on there, and Cedric was the only one smiling. So I called him and I said, Cedric, you know why I'm so proud of you? And he said, well, why? I said, because when I see this, everybody, every every cruiserweight's on this trailer, this huge transfer truck trailer, and he was the only one smiling. And then some smart aleck on Facebook said, yeah, he's smiling because he's got a contract. And literally, I got so mad, John, because I said, no, 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 that's the type of guy Cedric is. People say, well, what's Cedric going to do if this don't work out? You know what? He's, I know what he's going to do. He's going to come back to Charlotte and just keep working hard. I really believe, not because he's my student, because I know his heart and I've invested in him, he's smiling because he's Cedric. He's not smiling because WWE's, he's very thankful, don't get me wrong. Uh, but he, does that make sense, John? I mean, he, and I hope I've instilled that in him that, you know, what he's getting now is just added plus to what I've tried to instill in him. And, and I really believe he's grounded in that foundation that, and I got to enjoy this journey right now because I'm oh, going to yeah. tell you, I don't Absolutely. think, you, you know, that that's the thing. And, and yeah, like, dang right, I, I want to get a WrestleMania pay. Uh, it was funny, some guy on Facebook posted, uh, wrote to me, I didn't know him, but he said, George, are you going to be in the crowd uh, watching Cedric at WrestleMania? 
And I wrote back and said, no, I'd rather be at Cedric's mailbox the day after WrestleMania. <laughs> you know, waiting on that check is what I'd rather be. But uh, anyway, so if we can just, you know, uh, instill in those kids and just, you know, and so far everything's working, uh, you know, they're they're all working hard. So, And I'm hoping Absolutely. i got a few more next, you know, next year for WrestleMania. Yeah, and please, George, you know, as we wrap up here, just please share the information where they can find your 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 training area where they can find anything going on in your website, Facebook, whatever you got in the social media, give it to us right now. You spent a lot of time with us tonight, and we really appreciate you going overtime. So please, the floor is yours. Share whatever well, you got. Well, well, thank you so much. And it's real simple. I'm still a very very simple old timer. You know, they can just go to georgesouth.com. Uh, you know, that's got my website. Of course, I'm all over Facebook. You know, my kids said I got like 42 pages. I don't think I've got that many, but uh, I've got a George South Rasping School, of course, and uh, then I've got, like, I even named a, a page after my book, you know, Dad, You Don't Work, You Wrestle. I wrote my life stories. But all of that, if they go to georgesouth.com, it will lead them to everything else. So, uh, uh, any, you know, any, uh, I've got all the information right on that one website, and it'll, it'll link them over to, uh, you know, I even got a little promotional page, EWA, where I do shows and, uh, we've got a big fundraiser coming up where I'm going to help a football team. Ain't that ironic? A pro wrestling show is going to help a football team raise money for football jerseys. I think that's like the coolest concept in the world, you know. That's how we used to do it back in the day. Uh, but, yeah, they can just thank you guys so much. I mean, I appreciate I mean, uh, uh, you know, that burn, my kids will be on to me about running my mouth, but I, I do. I, I appreciate you guys. You don't believe how many uh, 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 stories or, or pod, not not just podcasts, but even newspaper interviews, if you can believe that, where you can tell five minutes in that it ain't going to be good. Because, uh, and I just respect y'all guys so much, and I thank y'all. I mean, it's just, I know I run my mouth a lot, but uh, you, I can tell, you know, and I know y'all respect this business, and, and I, anything I can do to help y'all guys, I just appreciate y'all having me. I, I promise I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to talk for 22 hours. I think WrestleMania is already over. I don't think. Well, no, I think their pre-show is still going on. Their pre-show has been going on for three days already. So I think that's... Uh, I I think so, too. Well, George, we appreciate it. And, yeah, we loved it. And like I said at the top, it's three years in the making. We've been dying to have you on. So this is uh, a great mix, a great meeting of the worlds. And uh, we appreciate you. And the door's always open to come back. Thank you, my guys. I appreciate it so much. And just respect everything y'all do. So y'all have a great night. God bless you. And just thank you so much for having me, okay? Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.